Thank you for choosing to listen to episode number 45 of Kansas City Food Memories. Today, I talked to four people from the legendary Gilbert Robinson Restaurant Group, which changed the entire restaurant scene, not only in, the United, in Kansas City, but the entire United States. So sit back and enjoy. And please remember, this is a tape presentation of a live show. So do not call in or text in when prompted. Thank you. Good morning. This is Robert Densing, and thank you for tuning in today to Kansas City Food Memories where we talk about the people, the places, and the food that make Kansas City such a great place to live. Now, today's show is really interesting, and it's, I'm not sure if we're going to take calls, but I'm going to open up the text line. So the text line is 913-586-7798. So I'm not even going to hesitate, but we've been building up to this show for several months. I have an amazing guest today, along with his entourage. The main, my main guest, the man who knows everything, is Ken Hill. Ken served as the president of Gilbert Robinson, led TJ Cinnamons to greatness, and then spent time at Applebee's and helped them grow to greatness as well. And I'm joined today also by his son, Mike Hill. Mike, thank you. You can go ahead and hit the red button. That turns that on. How thank you, doing? you. Good. Good morning. You can pull the microphone a little bit close. There you go. And then also I have Bill Latimer. Hello. Hello. Good morning. They're all looking at me with big, uh, big eyes and like, what's going to happen next? All right, guys, I'm going to step out of the studio for about 10 minutes. I'm going to let you run the show. Great. <laughs> Love it. All right. All right. Well, that didn't go as I planned. Then also on the loan, I have Rob Baker. Are you there? Rocco? Okay, Rocco's going to get Rob. I think I have. All right, Rob, are you there? I am. Okay, good. Well, uh, so I have the full crew here. So who wants to start? So, 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 Ken. I mean, you're you're the star here. You you have witnessed so much greatness and the building of greatness in Kansas City. Well, restaurant business has been a very much of a growing business over the years in Kansas City. I first came to uh, Kansas City out of college from Michigan State University, where I met Paul Robinson, which was part of the Gilbert Robinson company at that point, and. Uh, I went to work at the Golden Ox as assistant manager at that time. Things have changed a lot since then. So did you meet um, him at the Golden Ox also, or had he already left the Golden Ox Paul, to start? Paul was uh, at a conference at Michigan State, and I met him through a friend of mine. And then that was my sophomore year. And when I got graduated, he said, well, come on, I've got an opening for assistant manager in Kansas City in the stockyards. So I went for the first day at the stockyards, coming from Michigan. The smell was overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kent, let me ask you. So when you went to go work for Gilbert Robinson, which of the two was the true visionary that changed the restaurant business? Well, Paul Robinson was the one idea person in the company. Bill Gilbert was the financial end, and uh, the company originally started as Gilbert Restaurants, which was started by Joe Gilbert at the old municipal airport. Right. And uh, there he had a upscale restaurant called the Four Winds, and uh, from, from there, Paul Robinson joined him after leaving the Golden Ox, at the Inn at the Landing. Inn at the Landing was at 63rd and Troost. We started the uh, 
originally started as one steakhouse, Zenith Landing, and then followed by the the leather bottle. Yeah, and the the, the guys brought in several, a couple of beautiful bottles with the leather leather covers on them from the from that original restaurant. Well, the most amazing thing about those are the prices. Yeah. The nineteen seventy two prices. Yeah, Mike. Mike, what are some of those prices on there? Oh, it's pretty amazing. We got a Kansas City sirloin for five dollars and seventy-five cents. A top sirloin for four seventy-five. Uh, crab legs for five seventy-five. Marinated. Uh, God, it's just it's amazing. Alaskan king crabs five sixty-five. A filet mignon five seventy-five. All, all include a salad. All you can build, and a loaded one-pound baked potato. Absolutely crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. But we kind of lose perspective on all that stuff. Uh, Bill, let me ask you real quick. So what did you do for Gilbert Robinson? You worked out in the field. What does that mean? Yes, I mean, I started working for Gilbert Robinson at the um, Sam Wilson's Meat Market on 103rd okay. Street. That was, I think we opened in May of 1974. And uh, I worked in uh, that restaurant, then um, went to Houlihan's uh, uh, for a short time. And uh, then to Dallas and worked in the Houlihans in Dallas. Came back to Kansas City to open Fred Piotts in uh, late 1976. And then continued working there and at Houlihans until the flood in 1977. And uh, when that happened and I no longer had a place to work, um, I uh, interviewed to be on the training crew to start opening their restaurants in, uh, uh, you know, that late 1977 and 78. And I did that for about seven years. And, um, you know, I left at, at that time back in about 1985 and went on to other parts of the hospitality industry. Okay. Well, one of the things that I'll, I want to talk to each one of you about is the changes that, that you saw in the restaurant scene, really, that was either brought about or accelerated by the Gilbert Robinson. So I'll come back to you in a second. All right, um, Rob, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, so so you worked in uh, marketing communications. What do, what does that what did that mean back then? Um, well, uh, much like you, uh, I started out in, in broadcasting out of college, and um, uh, was asked to come out to one of their their first restaurants uh, that Bill was just mentioning a few minutes ago, um, Sam Wilson's, to take a look at a, an, an entertainment concept. Um, that they felt had some some merit, uh, where uh, a disc jockey was going to spin records in a lounge, and uh, so I was uh, a contract uh, employee for a couple of years, starting about 1976, and in 1978, as the company was continuing to grow, uh, I was hired full time in an area known as Studio 100 Advertising which was the uh, in-house advertising uh, department for Gilbert Robinson and uh, was there at a, at a great time when the company was really starting to grow. All right, so um, I'll, I'll throw this out there for all of you. So there were several brands that Gilbert Robinson created all at the same time. So, you know, because we had, we had Sam Wilson's, we had Houlihan's, Fred Piotts, the Bristol, Plaza 3, Annie Santa Fe. Who else? Um, Fedora. Fedoras. Oh, yeah. How can we forget about that one? Mm -hmm. So which one of those 
was really instrumental and really changed <laughs> the restaurant scene and the way Gilbert Robinson decided to go? Well, Paul Robinson, who got involved, it was really two separate companies. Joe Gilbert Restaurants was running the airport and the Holiday Inn across the street at that point. Okay. Uh, and then Paul started the Inn at the Landing, and then they joined the company together, which became Gilbert Robinson that, at that point. And uh, they went on then to, to Plaza 3, who had been in that particular site on the plaza, had been another restaurant there that had gone out of business. And plaza 3 was one of the highlights of the company for many years. All right, Ken, let me ask you this. So what was the goal or the purpose of Gilbert Robinson creating all those different concepts? Did they dream of creating, like, everyone to turn into Houlihan's that have 100 stores around the country? or Well, a little bit of both. Originally, it was a series of separate restaurants, uh, not none of which were there were more than one of. And then Houlihan's was, became so successful that that became the idea to grow that countrywide. Okay, so when they started, they didn't dream of opening up, expanding nationwide with any of those concepts? Not really. Not until he saw how successful it would be in Kansas City. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. So so what did they do? Did they create, what was the magic? Was it creating systems? Was it, what, what do you... Not so much systems as much as, as the theme for the Hulans was to- totally done by Paul Robinson. Okay. And, uh, with the menu that first took place at Houlihan's, there was a lot of things that nobody else had on the menu at the time. So what, what do you think the, the most important part was then, the early success? Was it the story, like the Houlihan's old place? Was it the menu? It was the menu and the food and the bar because we had a lot of different ideas that were carried out in the Houlihan's menu things that did not appear in casual dining, so to speak, in those in those days. For uh, interesting, we had escargos on the menu. Right. And uh, that was done on a very limited basis to start with. And uh, quiche was another item that you didn't see on many menus. Uh, we have a Houlihan's menu here. I'm reading it from the very first one. Quiche was a dollar. Escargo was two twenty-five. Yeah. Shrimps were twenty-five cents a piece. Oysters were a uh, dollar. Oh, for six. For okay. So, so Ken, you're <laughs> yeah. saying that it was the variety on the menu that really set the tone, right? And the decor. The decor, though, was handled by Paul Robinson and his wife Edna, who I think <laughs> might be listening in today. Well, you know what's interesting is that you know when you look at a success story, you look back with today's eyes. So we think that Gilbert Robinson intended on being this landmark company that transformed the restaurant scene all over the country? Not, not really. It, it started very casually. Because the company was then bought out by the W.R. Grace Company in right. New York. And their interest was totally to grow as fast as you can grow. Right. We don't have to talk about how they killed it, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, you don't have to say true. that. That's, tr- that's true. The company should have gone a lot slower than they yeah. did. Well, you know, greed's a horrible thing. Yeah. You know, well, well, but that's catch twenty two. That if you go too slowly, somebody else will pass up and own the market. 
Because yeah. a lot of times it's not the first company that owns the market. Whether you're talking about copiers or Kleenex or anything else, you know, the first one blazes the trail and, and <clears throat> creates this what ends up being wisdom and somebody else is really bold and they just go all out for it. So you got to catch 22. When, so, I, when I came to Kansas City, there was only three steakhouses in the entire city. It was the Majestic Steakhouse, Golden Ox, and the Colony Steakhouse. The Colony was owned by Ralph Gaines, who had been a former Gold, Golden Ox manager. Mm -hmm. So it was just those three restaurants were known for steaks. So now, how many there are? Ralph in Gaines Kansas with City? the entertainment, yeah, yeah. That's where Marilyn May started, right? Well, I think she started a little bit, a little bit smaller, you know, at the Ned Eddy's place, but it was a lot smaller. And then she quickly moved up to, to the Gaines Colony. Okay, so, um, so, so, Ken, what would the first three or four concepts were that you guys did? So you've got the Sam Wilson's in the landing, okay, Plaza Three, and then we also bought a restaurant that was not doing well financially, the top of the towers. Okay. So you had Sam Wilson's, then when? how much later was the Bristol and then Annie Santa Fe? Uh, Bristol. Uh, 1980. 1980. Mm -hmm. I don't remember Annie's uh, when it first opened. That I think Annie's was before Bristol, was it not? Yes. I think I was late was. 70s. Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. So, I know so, Houlihan's was, was 72. We think uh, yeah, 72. Best, best memory is that yeah. um, the leather bottle at the landing was in 68 or 69, okay. I think. Then Houlihan's in 72. So we got four, then, then five totally distinct concepts that very little overlap. So, uh, Bill, let me ask you, for on the marketing side, what was the tipping point to being able to really open up and go to other parts of the country? Which concept and why? Marketing. I uh, was operations. Okay. So I really didn't oh, get into I'm that. Oh, I'm sorry, Rob. Okay, uh, Rob. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rob with marketing. Um, I think that the catalyst was was when uh, the company opened properties first in Southern California, or in California, um, San Diego, uh, Long Beach, and Encino, all in, in Southern California. And which concept and that, was the first to go there? Those were all hula hands. Okay. Those were all hula hands. And that seemed to be a, a catalyst for expansion of that concept. Because in the early years, if I if I understand right, there were a lot of ties between Kansas City and St. Louis. You had Sam Wilson's in both. You had Annie's. Was Annie's in both mm -hmm. over there? And was that the first yeah. two markets that you really spread out to, that established in first? Yes. Okay. And then, so your first expansion out of that, that was to California? You no, went, no, St. Louis, St. Louis no. first. Right, after St. Louis, after you kind of decided you knew what you were doing and you had some mm -hmm. concepts that were really going to work. There was also Cleveland and Dallas. Cleveland, yeah. I can't mm -hmm. recall the fifth one because I think the— Wasn't there uh, the one in Houston on Post Oak? Eh, yeah, there was, there was one there. Okay, so— uh, Yeah. Well, the, okay, why Cleveland? So what, what business model did you guys do? Did you franchise, or were they all company-owned? Those were all company-owned. Okay. So yeah. why in the world would you go from Kansas City, St. Louis, all the way over to Cleveland? We have a real estate decision where there was an opportunity to put restaurants. It didn't make any difference which city it was in. We just uh, 
work the best real estate deal we could get to put the restaurant in. And that's why a lot of them aren't, aren't around today because uh, the leases okay. expired. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. There was expansion to uh, New Orleans also. New Orleans was the, was the second Hoolihan's. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So it, which was the biggest, was Hoolihan's the biggest concept as far as the number of stores and oh, level absolutely. of success? Yeah. You know, I, I can't even recall how many. There were 70 or 80, I think, at least. Okay. Um, perhaps more. I think it went over 100. No, I don't think so. Didn't? No. All right. So who, which of the other concepts was next? Bristol? Oh, uh, probably either Bristol, the seafood uh, right. concept, or uh, Annie Santa Fe were probably yeah. the next largest expansions. And they were nowhere close to what uh, the Hoolahan's expansion was. The Hoolahan's got an interesting background. Today, it's, they're all known as Hoolahan's. But the first one started as Hoolahan's old place because they kept asking where were we, where were we going to do the restaurant. And it was, well, Hoolahan, Tom Hoolahan's was a men's clothing store. On the plaza. On the plaza. And... Uh, that's when they wanted to know what was going on in there. It was the restaurant construction and the ideas that Paul Robinson had to towards the decor. Now, what was the um, – well, I heard one story that the architect just on the plans had just labeled it Hoolahan's old place so they know what building it was. Right. But So um, Jasper has told me stories from Paul Robinson about some restaurant in New York City that had kind of the layout, the decor – that that he absolutely loved, and what he tried to replicate down in um, for um, Hoolahan's. Wasn't it Max's Kansas City or something like Max's? Okay, well Jasper's uh, usually listening. Okay, Jasper, if you're listening, send me a text because Jasper went. He went to this restaurant to go see it, and Paul Robinson was actually there at the restaurant in New York. <laughs> is the story that I heard, which is which yeah, is fascinating. I had heard that it was that restaurant that he, he had visited in New York mm-hmm. and uh, another in San Francisco called the Trident. Okay. And yeah. he sort of threw them into a blender and created the Hoolahan's decor and, and you know, the that that was how it got born, well, I think. That was a big deal that, that you all did when you hit different concepts that you really tried to put the whole package. Yeah, you know, we that, had a warehouse downtown where oh, we yeah. kept yeah. all the all the artifacts. That's what Paul Robinson did. He'd go out and buy containers full of, of artifacts, and we'd we'd put them in a truck and take them to each opening, and then fill those restaurants with those artifacts. It was amazing the the warehouse that we had and the, the tons of artifacts. Was that, that we, commonly done before you guys, I like don't on think the coasts, so. or is that something you guys started to do? We started to do it. Yeah. We had our own stained stained glass shop that we made stained glass there, and. and oh. It was amazing. The frame shop where we built frames. I worked there for several years and okay. learned a lot from that. It was, it was really know, nice. We take it for granted now. I mean, that's <clears throat> that's the biggest part of branding. Some of these new restaurant concepts, they work on the decor and the look before they worry about the menu. Yeah. And and Paul Robinson would come to every opening, and he, he would hand hand put every picture on the wall. And every square inch of a hula hands was covered with artifacts. It, it, they're nothing like the ones they are today. The, the old ones were completely covered in and stuff. It was amazing the stuff he came up with. Okay, uh, Rob, um, online. How big was that in the marketing and the growth of of the Gilbert Robinson restaurants? Well, like like we just mentioned, it, it was a total concept. Uh, you know, you'd start with with the food and menu and drinks and and the decor package, the design of the restaurant, um, the music was a big part. 
of the concept, uh, employee uniforms, um, uh, a signature that Houlihan's had for years and years and years was a, a tapestry ceiling in a, in a portion of the of the restaurant. Um, had a, a group, can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they were in California, who would uh, sew those tapestry um, sections together. Um, and and then you know the menu itself. Uh, the menu was was all uh, hand lettered, uh, uh, printed uh, internally, um, and uh, it was it was quite a sight. It was quite a sight a- and a package, a package. So let me. Well, I ask you, Robin. I'll see if the others have a different opinion. But looking back on it, did it feel like everything was moving extremely fast? Or did it seem like that you were going at a slow and measured pace in what you were doing? It was pretty fast for us at the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you're doing something nobody else sure. did. It seemed very fast. I never saw my dad. He worked from 6 in the morning to 10 at night every day. <laughs> was there anybody else in the country that tried to, to or not tried, but succeeded in <laughs> launching three, four, five, six different concepts? I mean, what, what else... Because I'm thinking, you know, back in the 70s, you know, that's mm-hmm. Bennigan's was really big. You know, Chi-Chi's was kind of a big TGI concept. Fridays. Yeah, TGI but Fridays. As far as I remember, you know, I, I don't know that uh, TGI Fridays varied much from that that yeah. basic genre. Right. I mean, yeah, that was just the you one. Know, they had other restaurants later on, I think, but nothing like when, when yeah. Gilbert Robinson was in expansion. Hmm. Well, Ken, looking— part of, the, part of the success of the company was, was the training program that we had— was headed by a guy by the name of John Hawes, who uh, put together a very good training program for future managers and future employees. And when you talk to people that used to work for the company, you know, they all comment about the training that they had coming in. And as you get bigger, it's a little harder to control the training as it is right. when you've got three or four restaurants. Everybody faces that. Because you're talking about training for front of the house and back of the house. Right. The, the other difference was, probably – go ahead, Rob. Go ahead, Bill. No, that's all right. Uh, I think the uh, uh, main difference, I think, in what Ken's been uh, talking about is that you not only trained your managers, bringing all these people from outside of Kansas City here for weeks of training mm-hmm. prior to them going back to their store and being able to put it into use, um, but they also did it for each opening. Uh, there was an extensive training program for employees prior to opening a restaurant. Uh, we would meet employees on a Saturday morning for an orientation, give them their materials, and then on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we had training sessions all day. And um, uh, that usually culminated with a cocktail party on Saturday night for a local benefit, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere. And then Sunday was off, and we opened the restaurant on a Monday. So it was not just, oh, you follow you follow this employee for two days, and then we'll then we'll give you tables. It was an extensive program for all employees in the re, in the restaurant. So can so you know, the, oh, go ahead. The the training actually started upstream from that too, where uh, Ken had mentioned John Hawes. He and his team had a a, a recruiting team, and they would. Um, travel, interview, and recruit um, uh, restaurant management uh, employees. 
from around the country, a lot of the, the hospitality schools, culinary schools, and they would also recruit um, some of our chefs because um, the, the food was, that was number one. Okay, well, let me ask, um, I'll, we'll start with you, Ken, on this one. If you were to take one of those concepts and you had this crew that we're talking about right now, which one of those would you try to launch today? Cool Hands is still the best program to, to, to travel with. Okay. But it needed to be in the right location and with the right marketing to get it off the ground. What, what would be your next choice? I don't want to influence you, but I really miss Annie Santa Fe. <laughs> well, I think we had six or seven of those at one point. Yeah. And uh, that was before the Mexican food became really a real popular item. I think the only other chain that, that was out there would be like Chi-Chi's. Yeah, Chi-Chi's did a nice job. But no, I miss that Annie sauce and the empanadas. I worked at Annie's at Bannister Mall, one of my first jobs. <clears throat> All right, so Canso, who gets credit for the whole sex mex concept at the Annie Santa Fe? That was again back to Paul Robinson. Okay. Did you really, was there really, I've heard rumors that there was actually a person that was, her title was disco coordinator. Rob? <laughs> Do you know who that was? Um, well, between myself and, and a guy by the name of Dan Emler, Dan, uh, Dan started Studio 100 Advertising, and um, uh, Ken and uh, Paul Robinson came to us and said, you know, I think we've got an opportunity to, to, to really do some entertainment in some of our lounges and capitalize on that late-night business. And um, uh, I don't re- even recall how many uh, dance floors we ended up having around the country, but I think it was... Oh, 40 to 50 dance floors plus lounges that had live entertainment as well, much like Bristol on the Plaza. With the DJ booth up against the wall? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 The first one, the first uh, dance floor that I recall that was put in was in Hands in Milwaukee. Yeah. And uh, I can't even tell you how small it was, uh, how, many, how many square feet, about the size of your desk here. Uh, and... <laughs> It was really good for people that didn't really know how to dance very well because there would be so many people on it that all you're doing is just sort of wiggling around. It was uh, it was very uh, relaxing. I remember one of the first times I came to Kansas City, like in 85, 86, one of the, went to one of the Annie Santa Fe. I don't know if it was Oak Park or the other one. But eating in the dining room, it was a parquet floor. And I remember the waitress telling me, oh, yeah, when we get to a certain time, all the tables, they remove the tables, and it's a becomes a dance floor. <laughs> And she pointed at the at the the with the DJ stand that was I think installed up on the wall mm-hmm. at the time. It was in uh, in both the Annie's uh, Bannister and Oak Park. There were dance floors there, and hmm. uh, they were I know uh, well both of them were very very popular. I think the first one to really kind of crack the ice though was the uh, Sam Wilson's at 103rd State Line. Oh, they did that there too. Oh yeah, really. Tell me about mm-hmm. that. I, I've never heard that one. Um, I, I think that's where it started, actually. Ken, am I correct? I'm just sitting here trying to remember when that all started, but you're pretty close. <laughs> well, well, it's funny. You know, the stories kind of become interconnected and kind of merged together because it really is amazing how many wonderful concepts you guys came up with that were pretty well thought out that – 
you know, any one of those, if you had just said, we're going to put all our efforts into this one, I think there's no doubt it'd be just as big as Houlihan's. Well, the, the idea was, as soon as went along, Bristol probably would have been the next. The next one? Concept that uh, traveled pretty well. Hey, Rob, what were you going to say about Sam Wilson's? Uh, the Sam Wilson's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Ken, they were um, uh, original, the one at 103rd State Line and the one in out on Nolan Road in Independence were originally a Zyder Z concept. Oh, and right. GR, right. Purchased, GR purchased them, and, and they both had good-sized lounges. That was kind of unique. And um, so that's where uh, the company took the opportunity to really capitalize on, on the lounges and the, the late-night entertainment value. So looking back, Ken, I'll start with you then. Looking back, do you wish that that you as a group had concentrated on just two or three concepts instead of doing so many? No, I think that the success of the company was doing multi-concepts. Multi mm-hmm. uh, but as, as the company got older, then it became very apparent the growth would be limited to more to Hands and Bristol than anything else. So did, did you sell off just one brand or just at the very end, then they, they kind of split up at the, the very end, At the very end, I was no longer there. Uh, parts of the company were sold to different people. Mm -hmm. And so I haven't, I haven't followed it as to who owns what yeah. now. Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter nowadays. I mean, it's just, it's it's always a mess. Once you, once you go one hand to it, I mean, you look at T.J. Cinnamon's, I mean, that's, I mean, that was not part of, of Gilbert Robinson, but I know you got involved with that. Right. But that's changed hands several times. Yeah. And he started that from the one bakery here in Kansas City. Yeah, we had well over nine hundred before it ended. Oh, I and T.J. Cinnamons. I'll never forget. We're, it's off the subject of Gilbert Robinson, mm -hmm. but it's still a big part of Kansas City. It didn't matter what entrance you walked into at Work Parkway Mall. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just I yep. mean the smell sold the oh, product. Yeah. I can remember going to Ward Parkway that first day when he took me down there. and Said, "This is got to go see this." And, and the block long line, it was crazy. Yeah, somebody needs to do it. I, I wish somebody had done a physics examination of that how in the world can a single escalator carry that smell throughout the entire mall yeah but, yeah it was a perfect spot because it was right between the escalators so yeah. everybody rode it and oh saw yeah it and, and over top of it oh so. no i just I, ever nobody forgets that once you experience that yeah good yeah, we had 10 bakeries in kansas city i was a big part of that and then also over 900 across this you know we he franchised it so we we did it everywhere it was, it was amazing all right i'm gonna take a quick break so rob when i come back from the uh, thirty second break. Uh, think of something that I haven't. I'm not smart enough to ask about that. That you wanted to share for everybody, all the listeners, to know about Gilbert Robinson. So no pressure. Sure. All right. Come 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 up with yeah. something amazing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. For all of you out there, all the listeners, if you'd like to um, get in line with your, um, um, if you have a question or something like that, you want to send in the text line. That's nine one three. 586-7798. I don't think we're going to have time for calls today, but if you send me the texts, I'll make sure I print those off and um, email that to the guys on Monday so they can kind of see your questions and comments on that one. For everybody else, that I want to make this real simple. If you want to see this program continue, be sure to come out and support us at Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. My wife and I, we own that, and we are personally paying for this show, the airtime for the show, just so we can share stories and reminisce about the good old days. So go to makethemsmile.com. That's our website. That's actually been our website since 1999. 
go over there, the top left-hand corner, you'll be able to sign up for the email newsletter. I send a couple of those out a week. It gives you an update on who's going to be on the show, things that we have going on at the bakery. And for those of you that have been in Kansas City back in the 80s and 90s, you're going to want to listen ne next week. If you remember who the Rainmakers were, next week will be really interesting. Thanksgiving pre-orders, we, we just closed those off for the din brioche dinner rolls, cinnamon rolls, decorated sugar cookies, and our 20-hour turkey broth. But I'm gonna, this is the first place I'm going to announce that. Sherry and I, we decided we're going to bake an extra 200 dozen dinner rolls for Wednesday morning. We'll be Those will be coming out fresh throughout the morning. So if you want to come in and stand in line at the bakery at 119th and Metcalf, you're welcome to do that. We're going to be serving coffee and snacks to people standing in line to make that a little bit more fun and festive. So be sure to support us at best regards. All right, Rob, what you got for us? Um, I think one of the unique things that um, Gilbert Robinson developed kind of by accident, I think, were the names, and uh, some of the names had kind of a, a subtle or a secondary meaning. Um, earlier, we were talking about Houlihan's Old Place and how um, the contractors may have been the ones who actually named that restaurant because of its location where Gary Houlihan's menswear used to be. Um, Ken had mentioned uh, Joe Gilbert and, and the Four Winds at the airport, kind of a subtle um, meaning there. Um, and Plaza Three, it was uh, the third primary restaurant that the, that the company had opened. Um, Andy Santa Fe, you spoke of that one. Um, Fred Piat had a, had a, a meaning. Um, Fred Piat was the, uh, the associate of Thomas Edison, and when Thomas Edison was inventing um, the photograph, or excuse me, the motion picture, um, he was the um, the model that Edison used uh, to be recorded on film, huh. and his name was Fred P. Ott. So I mean, the story so is, the story is important. I mean, it always has been. I mean, the whole purpose of my oh, show yeah. is to hear the stories. Oh, there! I don't know if you recall the decor package at, at Ott's, that it was a little bit of everything. It had a, a an old Wurlitzer jukebox uh, that was uh, connected to some large, large speakers that were hanging from the rafters in the restaurant. And uh, so there were a lot of electronics that and amusement that were that was a part of the restaurant concept. All right, so let me ask all of you. I'll say who wants to jump in. So where did you get the name Annie's Santa Fe, and why was there an 11-foot painting of a naked woman in the basement? Well, tribute that back to Paul Robinson again. He was in charge of the decor and the name. Part of the, part of the thing was the early days of the company, there was real estate offers, but we didn't have much money to spend on new restaurants, so we couldn't get into building a lot of restaurants at that point. So as the real estate became available, we put a concept in that would help, and that's why we ended up at one point with five or six restaurants on the plaza, the Country Club Plaza here, because the space was available, and the Nichols Company felt that we could put something in there that would work. So that's one of the reasons why there were so many. Well, there's a lot of people would say that everything that's wrong with the plaza 
is the lack of local restaurants like you guys had down on the plaza. Uh, you know, that you gave it the, the energy, the buzz, the personality, and that's what's missing because they're full of national chains now. All right, so let's go back. I'm not, you're not, I'm not going to let you get away with this. So Annie Santa Fe, so did the name come first or the 11-foot painting of a naked woman come first? Okay, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> um, my understanding. Well, I, I know Rob, the marketing guy, is going to give a really good story. So yeah, let's Rob, get, let's is, get the truth. No, is let's this get the true truth. or I just think it's true? Yeah, let's get the truth first. Um, I think Annie's full name was Annie Chambers. Yeah, I've and read that. she was... Uh, I don't know, notorious or she or ran a well bordello in the 1800s. Being, yeah, it was for running a bordello uh, back in you know the first half of the last century. That's what I understand. Okay. And so I'm not sure about the naked lady, the uh, painting, and who that might have been. Oh, no, the, the the painting is of her. Oh, okay. I mean, that's that's the official version I've read in like three different independent places. All right, Rob, the marketing guy, give us give us your spin. Mm. Well, that was that was my understanding also, that the painting was of of a gal who ran the bordello back in the the early frontier days of of um, Kansas City down in what was known then as the River Market, and she ran a bordello down there, and her name was Annie Chambers. And what she has to do with Mexican food, we don't know. Oh. <laughs> Well, well, I read an article that talked about that, that she had the most friendly, hospitable bordello in the Midwest back when she was doing it. Well, that would be important. She she had a great reputation for that, and they did that. (laughs) So I had a guest on that was talking about Gilbert Robinson, um, gosh, I don't know, a month or two ago, and he brought up, I wonder what ever happened to that painting. You know know what painting I'm talking about? Right. Yeah, um, I I actually know what happened. It's huge. Yeah, yeah, it's an 11-foot painting is what I've heard. So I, I went to the uh, Marilyn May concert. Uh, she was here in town about a month ago. And so during the intermission, I'm just standing there talking to Jim Eddy and a couple of other people and talking about And the gentleman walks up. He goes, are you Robert Dunsing from the, the Kansas City Food Memory Radio Show? I guess, yes, I am. He said, you were asking about that picture. I go, yes. He goes, I bought it at auction, and it's in my basement. So uh-huh. I, I, know, I know the person who owns that painting. He's trying to build some kind of an exhibit or a museum that's going to have that and other paraphernalia from Gilbert Robinson, and he wants me to do a live show, uh, live stream show, video to show all that stuff. So when I get the information, I'll reach out to you guys and see if you want to see it. If, yeah, we'd if love to let us give us all your all oh, our yeah. stuff. We Wouldn't have. that we have be interesting? Yeah. So I'll get some information on that. <clears throat> all right. Um, so Rob, do you have any other stories that you shared during the marketing that that people find interesting? I mentioned earlier that the Houlihan's menu was all hand-lettered, mm-hmm. um, and that was really not unique. Uh, the, the the bottle menu that uh, I think you talked about earlier, Mike, um, mm-hmm. uh, that was uh, the leather around. Wasn't it a Matus bottle? It looks like, like a Matus bottle. Yeah. 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 Jug with they a had the menu, the menu hand-lettered on the yeah. on the leather. Yep. Um, Fred Piat's menu, Annie Santa Fe menu. There was a, a local artist here in town who we kept pretty busy, <laughs> and uh, he was responsible for uh, a, a lot of the menu design. Uh, but everything was coordinated through um, through Studio One Hundred advertising. Well, the interesting mm-hmm. thing looking at these seventy-two menus are the prices. The wine list is shocking. From the leather bottle 
they had uh, oh, they had the wine prices. Today it looks like it would be by the glass, but uh, Chablis was five dollars a bottle, and the leather bottle, the most expensive wine on the bottle on the menu was nine dollars. That was the most expensive thing, and that was for a French champagne. And uh, it's hard to believe glasses of wine generally ran around two dollars and fifty cents. So it's it's remarkable looking at the prices today compared to 1972. Yeah. All right. Well, Ken, we've I've talked. Jasper's been on my show um, several times, and we've talked about the Gilbert Robinson. You know, both of them, and then your company, and how much of a huge role you played in creating the food scene we have today. So looking back, Ken, what's the one thing you're probably most proud of that you guys did either to set the tone or you specifically did that lasts even to today? Well, Houlihan's really was, was that, that was the thing that was, we see today that still works. Mm-hmm. But was there anything in the way you did business? I mean, like, was that creating the theme was more important or starting with the menu? The, the, the theme and the decor. The decor was a big part of that. And that, again, is contributed to Paul Robinson and his wife. Yeah. Hmm. I think one of the big things that, that I can look back on and really proud of, um, the team that was built and the people. Um, sometimes the public might find out about something that Gilbert Robinson was thinking about doing and say, you can't do that. And we just fire right back and say, why not? Um, the, the, the team that we had the privilege of working with uh, back in, in the heyday was just some exceptional individuals. I think, too, you know, it was the attitude that uh, uh, Mr. Gilbert and, and Bill Gilbert brought to the uh, – to the company, uh, yeah. and it was so totally about um, hospitality. That's job one. That uh, we don't have customers; we have guests, and they try to instill that in every employee in the building. Yeah. Hmm. I, Mr. Joe, had a saying that I remember. It was, "If you're not serving the guests, you should be serving someone who is." Hmm. See, I I love That's that. A good one. Yeah, I mean, these gems, but they weren't just gimmicks or posters or inspirational posters up on the wall. I mean, you guys live this. I mean, you guys accomplished – you guys put together a plan of attack and a way of doing business that other people try to copy without understanding and appreciating how important it is. Because, you know, nowadays you see so many changes that you'll see a, a, somebody like a Starbucks that will go from – one, you know, maybe 15 locations in a region to get bought out, and all of a sudden there's 5,000 of them, you know. But, it's, but you just lack the, the depth that you, that, that you guys had here. No, the interesting, one of the interesting things, though, is the number of very successful people that graduated out of the Gilbert Robinson Company and went on to other companies either that they owned or that they managed. Hmm. We had some... One gentleman with the name of Phil Hickey, who became chairman of the board of a number of restaurant companies. Okay. And he was a great employee 
Well, I mean, even to this day, I mean, in the in, in Kansas City, I mean, that's a badge of honor. You know, it's like, well, I worked with the Gilbert Robinson company. It's like, okay, that's because there's other companies that buy chains and do that kind of stuff that do not have that reputation. I mean, they don't. There's people that worked at those companies, and that's where chains went to die. Nobody mentions that they work there. But Gilbert Robinson, I mean, that's something that you say with pride, and everybody goes, "All right, what did you do? You know, what uh, what can you tell me? What do you think about what's going on right now? Things like that." So. I, I mean, just I'd, I'll speak for the listeners for just a moment. Thank you to all four of you gentlemen for what you guys worked together to do. And, and no one person I understand gets their credit, you know. And even between um, uh, Bill Gilbert and Paul Robinson, I mean, you even split it between them, you know, kind of some of the things they did. But they can have a vision, but without people like the four of you to that to step up, you know, and, and to carry forth that 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 mission, that that vision. I mean, none of us would have experienced all those those wonderful restaurants and different things. So, I mean, thank you, thank you to all of you. And it's, do you guys have a a, a club Facebook group or anything? Do you ever get together and talk to each other? No, they should have. Yeah, the last big get together uh, was I think in uh, two thousand seven. Um, some right, of those, right. some of those uh, retired or uh, or you know XGR people. Uh, who get to, got together every once in a while down in Florida and uh, smoke a cigar and drink some wine and start talking about stuff. And uh, what they did was get together a reunion. And this is after the company really didn't exist anymore. Right. And uh, they brought over, what, 300, 350 people came in for this party, this reunion. That was about uh, right. Yeah. Who put that together? Uh, well, Phil Hickey and was it uh, Ron Vylord and um, Ron Barkley? I'm not sure. They I'm were all involved. Ron, Ron Barkley had quite yeah. a bit to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. Ron was an involved. executive with the company. Well, I wish well. you guys would do that again. I'd, I'd love. I'd just. I'd love to hear the stories after that. It was a good time. Yeah. But well, I mean, it you. Was. It, it's. It, it's neat just to hear stories and just see the the gleam in your guys's eyes here you know about being part of something that you were trailblazers and that's 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 kind of the wild west you, you remember the old wild west you know that kind of where they went and covered the that's what you guys did for the restaurant scene and businesses and it and it's pretty neat that it started here in Kansas city all right so we're, we're getting close to the end of the hour rob is there anything else you wanted to mention no it's it's been uh, it's been a pleasure to reminisce and uh, you never know we might put together another reunion sometime yeah well you know it's, do it soon. yeah are, are you here in Kansas City or are you out of town I'm here in Kansas City oh, yeah. okay you know it, it's because I could do a whole hour just with each one of you individually just to kind of do because one of the things I do it, it I, I, I joke about the rab, the rabbit holes and deep dives you know sometimes we jump around all a bunch of stuff but sometimes it's fun to just to go into a narrow topic and some of the stories that you have. And I got to tell you, I mean, people are fascinated by what you all have done. I mean, it's just, there's, there's, there's quite a few texts over here and I'm sorry, I can't read them all, you know, but that's um, because if, if I could get you each to come in individually, we could take calls from people that knew you individually and ask some questions on it. And it's just, um, so Rob, Rob, um, thank you very much for calling in. I know you're, hey, thank you. Yeah, I know you're all really busy. And it's up to take time for those of us that are here, that are that were fans of everything you did is much appreciated. So thank you, Rob. Thank you. All right. So Bill, I'll give you one last chance. 
Is there anything you could think of that you wished I had asked about? No, I just think it's uh, when I look back at this uh, 50 years ago, I started in restaurants. Uh, and uh, it wasn't but about a year later from my first restaurant job that I started working for Gilbert Robinson. And then a few years after that, started traveling for them and, and opening restaurants around the country. And I still look back at that as just one of the best times of my life. I learned a lot. I had a lot of fun and worked hard, too, because, uh, you know, this restaurant business, I still believe, is the absolute toughest business in the world to succeed in. Mm. Too many things can work against you. And uh, if you can be successful like Gilbert Robinson was for so long, you're doing a lot of things right. Hmm. Words of um, wisdom for for everybody. I mean, it, it is a brutal market to see somebody who created, I'd like the word systems, who create systems and an approach to succeed, not just with one concept, but multiple, multiple concepts, proves that you guys knew what you were doing. And the commitment that they had to training and doing like that, you don't see many businesses anymore doing that. They hire you and throw you in, throw you to the wolves. You know, so that's... Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and that that applies to all fields. All right, Mike. Oh, this has just been a wonderful time. I've, yeah, I'm amazed at all the stories yeah. I've heard of so, Robert Robinson. So, so you grew up, you know, as a kid watching your dad doing Absolutely. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he, he amazing <laughs> seeing all the restaurant chains and, and going into yeah. the restaurants and and watching the managers freak out when the when the VIPs would come in from Gilbert Robinson and it was always fun. It was always <laughs> a good time. Everybody was always scared of my dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Mike, so when you were a kid, I mean, you probably, there's no way you appreciated what your dad was doing. Not at all. I you had know, no clue. I never saw him. He was yeah. always at work. Yeah. Or on a trip somewhere. So how old were you when you first worked in? Oh, I started right out of that. I, I was at uh, Jeremiah Tuttle's. That was another restaurant we okay. had at the Ramada on 87th Street. I was a uh, cook there. It was my first job. Yeah. So I don't imagine your dad let that you get away with stuff just because no, you're a son. I was in trouble all the time. So. <laughs> Ken, were you harder on him than you were other people? No, I think I was tough on a lot of people. Remember, <laughs> I remember a, a story about quality of food, and it was a recipe for a certain kind of pie from one of the concepts that was run by a guy by the name of Greg Ward. And I took this pie into this meeting, this piece of this pie, and I said, you know, this pie isn't right. Here, catch it. I th threw, threw the piece of pie at him, and uh, <laughs> it didn't fall apart at all. It wasn't supposed to be that tight. <laughs> and he always still, when I see him occasionally, he still brings that up about me throwing the pie at him. Make a point. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I, I got to ask you one last question. I saved this for the last. Do any, any of you have any expertise in the recipes? Or you just do the business side? I used to have a copy of all the recipes. I don't know whatever became of them. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm working on the Plaza 3 steak soup right now. Well, we still have some of the recipe books. Okay. And uh, two of my favorites that I still make all the time is the steak butter from Houlihan's. Okay. And the Plaza 3 or, or Houlihan's. Uh, was the steak butter at Plaza 3? I don't know if it was both. It was definitely Houlihan's. Okay. And I know Sam Wilson's had it too, I think. Okay. And then the teriyaki sauce from Houlihan's. That was okay. my favorite. I still right. make that every every year and, and love it. Well, I've given up on the Annie sauce. So it's because somebody gave me a copy from the one of the 
textbook uh-huh. copies that says do not photocopy property yep. of Gilbert Robinson. Somebody gave me a page of that from back in the 70s. Yeah, we still have several of those. And that was wrong. They yeah. were lying to me. So that 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 was a disaster. We love sharing our old menus. Okay. Old. Well, I want to talk. So I'll 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 talk to you guys because the Plaza Three Steak Soup is the next one I'm working on. Yeah. Or I've been working on. And and the one on the internet's not it. Oh no, I know it's and not. Same with the TJ Cinnamon's recipe. They, yeah. they, there's tons of cinnamon roll recipes, but none of them are oh, the no. real ones. No, I've got um on the I make my own cinnamon rolls. I've got that down with the yeah. brioche dough. Yeah. But the cream cheese frosting that's like TJ Cinnamon's, I've got that down. Yeah. I mean, so I've I, it's yeah. I, I I offer that, and people they'll taste it and they'll say this tastes just like TJ Cinnamon's. And all that. Well, good. All right. So I so dead end with you guys on my plasma three steak soup. No, we'll we'll try. We'll look all right. In, we'll look at right. so, okay. The so um, recipe books. When I get my next version done, I'll bring you out. Because see, what people don't understand that the plasma three steak soup has been around for what forty years, fifty years, at least. Yeah, and it's which it's evolved over time. Yeah. So you know, it's just you. You know, I can't make it exactly like they did fifty years ago because I don't have prime grade steak trimmings. To every grind day. up and yeah, every day. Yeah. You so know, I mean, what happened was that we used to have our own butchers. And we had a lot of trim, and Paul came up with the idea of creating the soup, and uh, it was basically to get rid of the trimmings right. that we had from the butcher department. Okay. So, so I, I've heard that story, and I know that, so I can't exactly replicate that, but I want to mimic that and still get the flavor of everything else. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming in. I know one of you asked me, how in the world are we going to fill a whole hour with no commercials? And I think I told you, don't worry about it, that this hour will absolutely fly. So thank you all for coming in. I appreciate that. Thank you. For all the listeners out there, be sure to come by and see us this week at Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. We're at 119th and Glenwood in Overland Park. That's two blocks east of Metcalf, across the street from Cheesecake Factory, next door to Johnny's. And remember that the best way to keep this show is on, on the air is to come see us, share stories. And this in the next five weeks, we're going to be doing a lot of bakery treats, come in for lunch. We're going to send um, multiple ty- styles of gift baskets and boxes around the country. So come out and see us. Lastly, don't forget we have the show available as a podcast. Rocco, for thank you for just sitting in there not doing anything today. But um, thank you to everybody. See you next week. broadcast of Kansas City Food Memory.